President Biden invokes the Defense Production Act like a real leader should. Trump invokes being a loser authoritarian, failed president twice impeached. The January 6th committee announces its hearing schedule as Republicans host their CPAC in a foreign dictatorship in Hungary. This is the Midas Touch podcast, and we have Congressman Jamie Raskin as our guest can Wait think of. Wait a second. Say no. that one more time. Who is our guest today, Ben? We have Congressman Jamie Raskin. You heard that. On, on the date where the January 6th hearing schedule has been announced in June with the primetime schedule starting on, was it June 9th will be the first hearing, 8 p.m. Right around my birthday. What a birthday gift to have these June January 23rd will this, be the closing hearing, hearing primetime. <laughs> 8 p.m. The other hearings will take place throughout that time period. Excited to have Jamie Raskin talk about the hearings, what to expect, what the evidence is going to show. You are not going to want to miss this Midas Touch interview with Jamie Raskin. And so in the background of Jamie Raskin, why should I ask you guys how you're doing? Hi, Brett. Hi, Jordy. How are you? I'm, I'm, I'm doing great. It's great Good. to see you, brothers. I had a, had a nice uh, weekend. Uh, I don't think there's anything like too exciting to report, but it was really hot in uh, Los Angeles. have asked you how you're doing. <laughs> getting, into, getting into the news um, and the background of these January 6th hearings uh, demonstrating the authoritarian efforts of Trump here. What is the GOP doing on the heels of that? Well, they're hosting their CPAC, their conservative, political, whatever event that they do, which usually takes place in a right wing state. And as the radical right wing states, I suppose, couldn't be radical right enough. They've gone to Hungary. <laughs> Here's what I've said. They've gone so far to the right that they literally ended up all the way in Hungary. That's their modern day Republican Party. That's how far right they are. And this is so disturbing. I don't feel like it's being quite talked about enough. Like, I don't think the average American understands that the Republican Party here would be the equivalent. Brett, can I say this? Tell me if you think this would be the equivalent. Let me hear it. It would be right before World War II if the Republican Party did a hearing in Nazi Germany or in in Italy with Mussolini and they did a closed door. And that's where they decided to hold their political conferences. Yes, cer certainly at the early stages. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like before the war started and before everything. Um, and it's like what we need to realize, what everybody needs to realize is what they are really there for. I mean, they are going there to meet with their allies, their fascist allies. And anybody calling this a conservative event in Hungary is not doing it justice. If you see the New York Times or CNN being like, oh, they held a conservative meeting in Hungary. No, this is a fascist autocratic that is meeting in Hungary. This is not a conservative meeting in Hungary. And they met there to, as they said, as Orban said himself, he said, we need to coordinate the movement of our allies. They're trying to bring together the autocratic world, not the democratic world, but the fascist world all together, united as one in order to have. Ironically, this is the phrase that they would use about Democrats or the, you know, the, the rest of the West, the democratic West. They want to create a new world order, which has fascism being the leadership of the entire planet. They want fascist dictatorships popping up everywhere. They want this far right brand of autocracy 
everywhere, stomping on people's rights, stomping out freedom. And that's what they want. I mean, uh, the, Orban said himself he wanted a worldwide, he called it a conservative takeover. Once again, this is a fascist takeover. He says that 2024 will be decisive, stating we need to take back the institutions in Washington and Brussels. We need to find friends and we need to find allies. We need to coordinate the movement of our troops because there is a big challenge ahead of us. And all the talking points that they use there, surprise, surprise, are no different than the talking points you hear on Fox News. They talk about the woke, the woke left, the woke revolution. This is the last bastion of freedom against the woke people in the world. And we need to stomp out diversity and we need to counter the culture wars and critical race theory, this cancel culture, that gender, this censorship on tech platform. Like it's all the same talking points that you hear constantly being spouted out of Fox News. So it's no surprise that you have somebody like Tucker Carlson videoing into this event or a Donald Trump involved in this event and all these leaders. This is a fascist event and we all need to be on a high alert about it. You remember like those photos, Jordy, during the Trump administration where our historic allies, powerful, strong, democracy-loving nations who have tried to spread freedom and peace in the world? You know, so when it was France, when it was the UK, Canada... Germany, our natural allies right now. And then Trump would like shun them and he would run to the Putins and the far right types like the Victor Orbans of the world. Those Those images are just still so horrifying etched in my head. And it's like the right wing, the radical right here. They just always want to lean into the losers like they their natural instinct is loser. Their affinity for like Putin, Putin's losing to Ukraine. These guys love losers. The bigger the loser, the bigger the blowhard. But who's a loser? That's who they love. That's why they like Trump. They like losers. They like losers. They like frauds. They like racists and they like anti-Semites who don't win, who don't win. It's not even like the people win. The people lose. Right, Jordy? Yeah, no, it's absolutely insane. But I mean, what do you what are we supposed to expect anymore? It's just so sad. And this is why other world powers are a little bit hesitant, I think, in dealing with us right now, because, yes, with Biden, things are getting back on track. Democracy in America is getting back to what it used to be. But if you're these foreign powers, you're kind of approaching us with some caution that in four years, is it going to be like this? In eight years, is it still going to be like this? I don't blame them for their hesitancy. I mean, look at some of the speakers at this event. I'll just go through a couple of them because it, it speaks volumes. But this is who Donald Trump and the Republicans were sharing the stage with at CPAC. They had this one guy who's a notorious Hungarian racist who has in the past called Jews stinking excrement, his Jeez. words, using racial epithets to describe black people. He was a major speaker at this event in CPAC. They also had Jack Posobiec, who uh, blocks might touch on Twitter. He's a far right a blogger, I guess you'd call. I don't even know what I don't even know how these people make a living most of the time, but he has constantly used anti-Semitic symbols. He was a big pusher of the Pizzagate conspiracy theory. These are the people who CPAC is highlighting. And like Ben said, losers, but also dangerous racists, anti-Semites, really just the worst of war of the worst in our society. Let's switch gears for a second. As you have the worst of the worst of society there, I do want to talk about Good. Biden's Operation Fly Formula, yes, uh, which shows what a leader's supposed to do. Biden invoked the Defense Production Act, something that Trump refused to do during COVID. Think about that. Trump refused to invoke the Defense Production Act 
to make more PPE during COVID. And what Biden do the moment that there was an emergency, an emergency caused by Trump's failed and flawed trade policies, shutting down our borders to foreign manufacturers of baby formulas and destroying our trade internationally with his kind of xenophobic rhetoric implemented into policy when one of the main manufacturers, the Abbott facility out in Michigan, had major issues um, and it was proven to have dangerous formula that could kill babies, it shut down our baby formula manufacturing. And guess what, folks? Problems and crises arise. We keep saying that in Midas Touch because it's like that is why we elect leaders to solve the problems that happen. That's what life is about. And the question is, do you take a problem, whether it's the baby formula emergency, whether it's COVID, and do you take action to try to stop it? Or do you lie about it, do nothing, and then because you are an incapable leader, blame some minority group for the problems that you're confronting. Now, let me tell you exactly what Trump would have done in this baby formula crisis. He would have blamed the babies. I know what he would do because <laughs> I, you see what the right wing has done. What they've done is they've immediately blamed immigrants for consuming the baby formula and said that we need a policy to not give immigrants baby formula whatsoever. So that was their solution. What did Biden do? Biden energized all of America's fighting power, American military, American manufacturing might. And Biden took planes got baby formula from throughout the world and flew it into the United States to solve the problem immediately and then gave these facilities in the United States all of the resources they could use to make sure that not only were we making baby formula, but more baby formula than ever. And that is the kind of president we need. He invoked the Defense Production Act twice. Yeah. And that's how you solve problems. That's actually what a leader does. And it's also why the Republicans go so hard on the offensive right off the bat, because they try to label this. This is a President Biden problem. This is a President Biden problem, even though it was a problem that was caused by kind of unfettered capitalism and Donald Trump's NAFTA deal, which didn't allow us to import any baby formula from Canada when we needed to. Um, but they try to go, it's Biden's fault. It's Biden's fault. And then when Biden solves it, you know, they've already branded it as such. They've already branded it as this was a Biden issue. And then they hope that the public plays along and is, is too dumb to care. Um, so we need to speak out. And that's why, you know, you need to listen to the show and you need to go around and you need to tell people what actually happened here. And you need to like celebrate the wins. Like when Biden gets 70,000 pounds of baby formula delivered from overseas here to help out the problem, you need to tell people, look what we're doing to solve these issues. What are the Republicans doing? What would they have done if they were in power? Absolutely nothing. And I want to reiterate Ben's point. This is why we elect officials who are problem solvers. This is why we don't elect officials who try and fight the invisible boogeyman. That's CRT. That's whatever the fuck that they're trying to fight. That's not helpful or that won't be able to solve a crisis in real time. This is why it's so important that you pay attention to politics and that your friends, neighbors, family members, that they pay attention to actually who is here to solve the problems and who's here to create more. 
And I'll tell you, the American people are picking it up. The latest NPR Marish generic ballot poll taken after the leaked Roe v. Wade decision now has Democrats leading 47 percent to 42 percent, which is a net increase of eight points from last month's poll, which showed Republicans ahead 47 percent to 44 percent. This is a massive momentum shift. That's huge. But listening to the media narratives, the media tropes, you would never know that is the case because the media, despite it's and I know I cast a broad net. What do I mean by the media? I pretty much mean the major media cable news and the major media newspaper outlets that exist, because I do want to give a shout out to some of the local news who I think has actually done an exceptional job in the primaries holding local. A lot of great independent journalists as well. Yeah holding local candidates accountable because they know like the Madison Cawthorns of the world and the Purdue's and the Marjorie Taylor Greed's and the Boberts, they live in the communities with these people (laughs) and they don't see these members, these GQP right, radical right wingers. They don't even see them in the community and they see them as an embarrassment on the community. And so these local papers have done a really good job, but you still see in the like the mainstream, large, big media trying to just do the narratives that led to Trump again. You know, whether it's trying to prop up DeSantis, whether it is, you know, giving all of these narratives where, you know, I think I even saw Jordy, who's your favorite journalist? I, I say it jokingly over at uh, over at NBC, Chuck Todd, who you hate. You know, I think I saw something recently with Chuck Todd. It was like his poll showed it was about even right now in terms of and this was like a week ago. And he goes, this is devastating news for the Democrats. Why would that be devastating news? Yeah, he said it was a near shellacking was the term he used. I'm like, it's a tie shellacking. It's a tie. It could go either way. (laughs) It is such an embarrassment. Definitely embarrassment. And, you know, but but here's one of the trends that we've seen recently. And and we could look to Georgia for this Um, Trumpism. I think is a decaying, rotting, you know, d- d- just, you know, imploding uh, ideology right now. I mean, it, it is by its nature just horrible and horrific. Everything that it stands for, but you see, with the this new thing, ultra MAGA is what they call it. It was funny. Someone on Twitter, I made some comment about how um, chicken Purdue, um, how. Uh, uh, what, what's Purdue's first name again? Yeah, oh, sorry. Chicken just, just chicken, just chicken. Just, just, is, it just, is it just chicken? It's, I, I call him chicken so much that I forget his first name. <laughs> that David, David Purdue, former senator of Georgia, who lost, he was too afraid to debate Asaf um, in, uh, in there and just was like an overall horrible human being a candidate. David Purdue, I wrote on this tweet, how David Perdue uh, was just this horrible ultra MAGA candidate who was losing and how great it was to see him lose. And someone's like all this democratic branding of ultra MAGA, like that's what they call themselves. Madison <laughs> Cawthorn was calling himself dark MAGA. And like they, they even like try to make it even weirder. And so <laughs> dark I, ultra, like, that's, they call that's themselves them. dark ultra MAGA. But now they basically are saying, and what Trump's saying is if David Perdue doesn't win and David produce it, they're not going to support Kemp and David Perdue is losing miserably right now in the polls, like just getting 
this is actually would be the right use of the word shellacking. shellacking. <laughs> this is actually really, shellacking. It's going to get down like 40% in the polls to Georgia Governor Brian Kemp, which shows that a Trump endorsement there really means nothing. Now, it's like it, it's hard to really totally gauge Trump's influence right now. But what it seems and I actually read a really interesting article, believe it or not, in all places in the Wash in the Wall Street Journal over the weekend. And it was about somebody, a journalist who had went to one of these Trump rallies and was speaking to the most diehard Trump supporters that were around. I mean, these were Trump rally goers. And they were asking them that obviously this is all anecdotal. They were asking them who they want to run in 2024 if they want Trump to run. And they had really all kind of soured on Trump. They were like, yeah, like he's a good guy. We like him. He supports our values, but we really don't hope that we really hope he doesn't run like we want like a DeSantis. We want like a this part. You know, it seemed like they had sort of moved on. And like Donald Trump was sort of this figure of like the past who they admired and idolized. But he was not somebody who they wanted to be the future of the party. And so with Trumpism and with Trump, I feel like it's sort of like the hydro where, you know, the heads have been cut off of the Trumpism. But then you have more heads kind of sprouting out in their own ways. And the danger is, is that they could sprout out in ways that are more buttoned up and look less like Trump are a little less messy than Trump, a little less in your face. And then you get people like Ron DeSantis or you get people, you know, even more devious like a Glenn Youngkin who doesn't position himself in that way at all, but is pushing the same exact far right policies on the people. So I think that's what we really need to be aware about, not even necessarily Trump's hold on the party, but the toxicity in which he injected into the party that continues to exist and is spreading rapidly throughout that party. But this is a huge loss for Donald Trump in Georgia. It will be a huge loss when this election is done. And that's why you see Trump already starting to distance himself a little bit from Purdue, not quite hitting the campaign trail in the final days because he doesn't want to be associated with a loser. And hey, if you guys want to boycott this election because you don't like Brian Republicans, yes, guess what? Welcome, Governor Stacey Abrams. That's why we need to all fight so hard. And that's why even these generic ballot polls and stuff, it doesn't take into account the nuances of what's going on in each individual race. Like when you're going to see Tim Ryan up there facing off against J.D. Vance, when you're going to see in the governorships, when you're going to see Stacey Abrams going against Brian Kemp and you have 30 percent of the Republican electorate who doesn't even want to vote for Brian Kemp. Like these are all individual factors that generic polls simply can't pick up. That's why we need to fight every race incredibly hard. And that's why I think we can and will make gains if we all stay committed and we all stay motivated here. You use the word nuance, Brett, and that's accurate in the sense of the polls don't take in. The polls are generic. But really, between the candidates that exist, though, there really isn't nuance. And so one of the conventional thinkings when you have a president of one party, why it is that the other party tends to win the midterms is because the way people generally view it is there is just kind of nuance between the parties and that we want the other party in power to be a check on the party that has the White House. But here, what we're seeing is that there really isn't nuance between the parties. There's one party that's just so radical and extreme. And despite the efforts of the radical right extremists to try to brand Democrats in that label, I do think people are starting to realize and get savvy to it. Like, dude, you're the ones who are banning books. You're the ones who are out there like discriminating against everybody. Like you can't hate everybody and then expect people 
to support you if you hate every group like they touch upon every single group of hate and then they wonder where their constituency is and that's going to be the one of the main issues here so in the past what you would normally see is people would run to the right or you say you run to the left or whatever in the primary and then run to the center but here these radical right extremists have given themselves no way possible to come back to the center. So you're going to see these debates where they're going to say to like a general public of voters, you wanted to uh, lock up Dr. Fauci? Like you want to, what does it mean? You you want to put him in jail? Herschel Walker, ex- explain that to me. That you want to ban all Her- abortion? Her- That's Herschel your plan? Walker, you want to, yeah. Your view is that at fertilization, even in the case of rape and incest, mm. that that's that that a woman doesn't have a right to abortion there. That's your view, Herschel Walker. And he's going to have to stand up there and and explain it. And to Jordy's point, Jordy's like, there's yeah, no way is, these people are showing up. They're just going to absolutely have- no way they're showing up. This is exactly they can't defend the indefensible. I'll say it every show until they don't show up to the debate, because it's impossible for them to defend their positions without alienating the larger community of voters. And Ben, there's a new CBS YouGov poll out there, which which lines up exactly with your point right here, which is that when they asked what words describe the Republican Party, 54 percent of Americans said extreme. Extreme was the number one word used to describe the Republican Party, which I think also is a good thing for us as as voters, as Democrats going into the election. Now, here's the problem. Here's the term that they use to describe Democrats. 51% of Americans, a majority of Americans describe Democrats as weak. weak. And so I think that's an interesting dichotomy right there when you have extreme on one side and weak on the other side. And you can understand why people think that way. I mean, you can understand why people feel that way. When you have this Republican Party that just seems to be just trouncing in our democracy at every step of the way, and we're not seeing any immediate accountability for what is happening here. So embedded in the poll, Brett, that's such a great point, is the idea of people actually rooting for the Democratic yeah, Party. I think that's what it extreme. is. Yeah, I think that's, that's the subtext. What you see. Yeah, that's it's the like, subtext. It's like it. these people are extreme and radical. You're weak. Improve the weak part so we could get rid of the extreme and radical. And that's what's actually very optimistic about the poll and the polling data that we've seen is that there's a lot of room for Democrats to improve and to definitely win the midterms in 2022, whereas Republicans have kind of pigeonholed themselves into the radical right pigeonhole, their dark MAGA, ultra MAGA pigeonhole that they live in. Can't wait to bring on Congressman Jamie Raskin to talk about the January 6th committee hearings, which were just announced. They will be broadcast prime time, at least two of the hearings, the opening and the closing of the hearings will be prime time. The other four hearings will take place um, during that period of time from June 9th to June 23rd. Come on, we're going to bring in Congressman Jamie Raskin. And before doing that, I want to tell you about our sponsor, Athletic Greens. This podcast is brought to you by Athletic Greens. Our next partner has a product I use literally every day. I started taking Athletic Greens because I didn't have the time to make my own vitamin regimen 
and it was definitely not working. And with Athletic Greens, I discovered I could just scoop up this green powder, put it in a cup, shake it up, have the drink, and get all of the vitamins and minerals I need in a day. That's right. With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods, source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy recovery focus, and aging and all things. It's lifestyle friendly. Whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, this is for you. And for me, this tastes really good. It costs you less than $3 a day. You're investing in your health and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. And as I said, tons of people take some kind of multivitamin and it's important to choose one with high quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially heading into the flu and cold season. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Grains is going to give you, get this, a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash Midas. Again, that is athleticgreens, A-T-H-L-E-T-I-C-S-G-R-E-E-N-S.com slash Midas to take ownership of your health and pick your ultimate daily nutritional insurance today. Pick it up, athleticgreens.com slash Midas. And Brett, you want to tell us about Titan? I'll tell you about Titan because listen, like we, we go Titan. to experts for everything where we are believers in experts in the Midas touch podcast. You wouldn't just go online and try to diagnose your medical condition. Don't do that. Do not do that. See experts, go to experts, be smart. So here's what you got to do. You got to check out Titan because as everyday investors, the cards have been stacked against us. We've been given access to this marketplace of stocks, but we're competing against experts. We're competing against institutional investors with literally unlimited resources. We're simply told, hey, why don't you just invest in the S&P 500? You'll be happy with your little conservative average that you get. But when you're wealthy, wealthy people have teams that have access to all these experts, different types of portfolios, investment vehicles. So growing your long-term wealth isn't something you could just DIY you shouldn't just sit back and shoot for the average. But with Titan, you have a personal investment team that researches and invests for you that can aim to outperform the market while giving you a courtside seat to become a smarter investor along the way. So with Titan, you get strategies similar to those in the 1% without having to be ultra wealthy or pay hefty fees. And all it takes is $100 to get started. You can deposit your money. So you select which portfolio you want to invest in, and that's it. It's super easy. You don't have to think at all. You leave it all to the experts, Titan's experts. They then give you updates about the market decisions being made with your money, and you can even them questions right there within the app. They'll get back to you and explain everything to you. And they aim to grow your investments by at least 15% annually net of fees, which can mean doubling your wealth every five years. So don't miss out on this opportunity. I've used Titan. I use it right now. I get huge peace of mind now that I have a team of experts managing my investment. And so check it out. And here's the offer. You're getting free money, which is always nice. We love hey. You get paid to listen to the Midas Touch podcast. This is how good it is. So listen to this. You check out Titan if you want to aim to be the smartest, wealthiest investors you've ever been. You go to titan.com slash Midas. That's titan.com slash M-E-I-D-A-S. And you'll get $50 for free when you invest with Titan, but you must go to the URL 
titan.com slash Midas, or you will not get that $50 and they won't know that we sent you. So get your $50 today at titan.com slash Midas and invest with Titan. This is a sponsored podcast that obviously, and as I told you, I'm a client of Titan. I'm invested in the flagship portfolio, highly recommended. Go check it out and get that free 50 bucks. What are you waiting for? And now we are just so thrilled, so excited to bring in our interview with Congressman Jamie Raskin to talk about all things January 6th and more. Here's our interview with Representative Raskin. And welcome back to the Midas Touch podcast. Today's guest is Congressman Jamie Raskin. Congressman Raskin is the United States representative for Maryland's 8th Congressional District, served as the lead impeachment manager for the second impeachment of Donald Trump and is currently a member of the January 6th committee investigating the attack on the Capitol. Congressman Raskin, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you so much, Ben. I'm delighted to be with you guys and have been looking forward to it. First off, we just want to say thank you for everything you've done. Thank you for everything the January 6th committee has done. It has restored the faith of millions of Americans in our democracy. And I don't know where we'd frankly be without your work and the work of the January 6th committee. Well, I appreciate that very much. We're obviously um, still in the the thick of the the fight of our lives here, and uh, we're getting ready for our hearings in June. They begin on June the 9th, um, and uh, I'm hoping that we're able to describe to the American people every dimension of uh, the violent insurrection and the attempted coup to overthrow uh, the winner in the 2020 presidential election, Joe Biden. And we're in the thick of the thick right now with the January 6th hearing schedule just being announced. The committee set to hold six public hearings that will walk through Trump's efforts to overturn the 2020 election, as you've said, starting and ending with blockbuster primetime hearings at 8 p.m. on June 9th and June 23rd. And you've previously said the January 6th revelations are going to blow the roof off the House. So what can Americans expect from these hearings? Well, I think people have a pretty good sense of the massive violence that confronted our officers, 150 of whom ended up with broken necks, broken jaws, broken noses, uh, contusions, traumatic brain injuries, post-traumatic stress syndrome, broken arms, legs, missing fingers, strokes, heart attacks, and so on. And I think uh, people uh, have some sense that Donald Trump refused to accept the results of the election and was working to overturn them. But I don't think uh, people understand how premeditated these events were and how both the violent attack on the Congress and the inside political coup were coordinated uh, as a comprehensive assault on our system of government to take us to a very different uh, uh, form of uh, leadership in America. There was an attempt to seize the presidency for Donald Trump, and we narrowly escaped that fate. Is there anything more you can tell us about the schedule in terms of what's going to happen on each day? Is it going to start with kind of an opening remarks? Do police officers go on a certain day? Is there then kind of the inner circle on another day with the closing argument? What can you tell us about that kind of arc and the story that's going to be presented, how it's going to be told, why, for example, you have these two hearings on prime time and the others not on prime time? Well, some of it just had to do with uh, the logistics of uh, television and what else is going on there. But 
uh, you know, our effort will be to try to tell comprehensively what the events of January 6th were, what were the, the causes and the determinants leading up to those events, um, and then we will work our way into uh, what needs to be done in order to prevent uh, the recurrence of such coups and insurrections in the future and to fortify democratic institutions. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think you, you will hear at the very beginning from uh, our chair, Benny Thompson from Mississippi, and our vice chair, Liz Cheney uh, from Wyoming, uh, who will do their best to uh, describe in its entirety what took place. And then uh, the, the hearings will then will be an effort to spell out in detail what took place and uh, the, you know, what were the mechanics? Um, what were the finances behind uh, the operations? What were the coordinated logistics behind the operations? Um, who saved us? Uh, who were the heroes? Um, people like uh, Brad Raffensperger in Georgia, the Republican Secretary of State, who refused to uh, back down before Donald Trump's threats uh, and simply to find 11,780 votes. Um, and uh, who was behind it and who's still out there today? Um, you know, one of the things I'm working on is uh, the coordination of the domestic violent extremist groups, uh, what role they played in the events of the day. And we know that uh, Donald Trump uh, used these people in order to advance the attack on the peaceful transfer of power. But it's equally clear that they used him too. And they built in strength and they grew. And we now have uh, a coordinated uh, potential uh, mass violent fascist street movement um, that can attack us again, not just in the capital, but in the state capitals, school boards and so on all over the country. So we're trying to look at this in uh, its historical entirety. And in terms of who's behind it today and, and who's still behind it, one of the strange things has to be uh, with all the information that you know now, when you walk the halls of the Capitol building and you look to your left and your right, you see some colleagues and you know that they're the ones on the Republican side and you know that they were the ones behind this and they're walking around, you know, with the same pin that you're wearing right now. And they walk around that building, but they were behind it. And in fact, they want they've been doing everything they can to discredit the January 6th committee. Like that must just be a strange concept that like your coworker is the one undermining the institution where you work in our democracy. Well, there was clearly uh, an assault on the constitutional order, um, and there were people who were um, elected officials, and of course, many more people who were not elected officials who were involved in it. Uh, Donald Trump never accepted the results of the 2020 presidential election. In fact, he had prepared his followers to reject the results as he went around the country saying there's only one way he could lose the election, and that's if it was stolen which is a profoundly anti-democratic way of framing an election. Um, but when it was over, he refused to concede and to this day maintains that uh, he's the rightful president, despite the fact that Joe Biden beat him by more than 7 million votes and by a margin of 306 to 232 in the Electoral College, which was the exact same margin that Trump actually beat Hillary by 
uh, in 2016. And that was a margin that Trump had declared uh, a landslide. Um, but they tried multiple different avenues of destroying Biden's Electoral College majority. And we're going to go through all of them. Uh, but it ended up with an effort to get Vice President Pence to step outside of his constitutional role and to declare unprecedented, unilateral, extra-constitutional, unlawful powers to reject electoral college votes by the vice president. And if they could just get him to reject the electoral votes being cast by uh, tens of millions of people in Arizona, uh, Georgia, and Pennsylvania, uh, then they could lower Biden's vote total from 306 to below 270. At that point, it would have kicked the whole contest into a so-called contingent election under the 12th Amendment. Uh, and people ask me, well, why, why would they want the House of Representatives deciding for president with Speaker Pelosi and the Democrats in control? Well, they knew that in a contingent election, uh, we're not voting on the basis of one member, one vote. We're voting on the basis of one state, one vote. Right. And after the 2020 elections, they had 27 state delegations. We have 22. Pennsylvania split down the middle, nine to nine would be to the side. So even had they lost the uh, at-large representative from Wyoming, uh, Liz Cheney, they still would have had a 26 to 22 or 23 uh, majority. And they would have declared Donald Trump president for four years, likely would have followed the advice of uh, Trump's disgraced former national security advisor, Michael Flynn, uh, and invoked martial law uh, by triggering the Insurrection Act. Uh, then they would have called in the National Guard and the uh, police to put down the violent insurrection that Trump had unleashed against us, uh, and then blame the whole thing on Antifa, which uh, of course, Matt Gates started to do on uh, January the 6th itself. When we came back in, uh, he said that, you know, the Washington Times had already been able to determine from facial recognition technology that uh, it was Antifa that, that was actually behind the attack. And you can still read that today on the right-wing websites. But in any event, they would have plunged us into uh, chaos, uh, likely martial law, perhaps civil war, uh, riots around the country. And as Judge Carter uh, put it in the John Eastman case, uh, Trump uh, likely committed uh, crimes uh, in the process. And had he succeeded, uh, it could have been the last time we ever had a peaceful transfer of power in America. And do you agree with the judge's assessment there? Well, I, I do. I, I mean, who knows where it would have gone? Um, you know, some of our uh, colleagues on the GOP side are fond of saying, well, you know, you're not just going to uh, trifle with the rights of um, tens of millions of people who voted for Trump, uh, whose rights have been completely respected, of course. Um, but you're certainly not going to be able to trifle with the rights of uh, tens of millions of people who voted for Biden, uh, who are standing by the constitutional order. Um, so, uh, yeah, let us hope that the violence... Uh, unleashed by the right wing on January 6th ends there. Um, but any further violent attacks on the union could create a spiral um, because the people are prepared to defend their democracy. And uh, we're, we're very fortunate that 
civil violence, widespread civil violence didn't break out across the country after their efforts to steal the election. I just have the chills as you're even just telling me the story now. And this is a lot of stuff that's, you know, already in the public record. So I can't even imagine what's going to come from these committee hearings. But how close really were we? Because I really don't think the American public totally gets it. How close were we to really losing it all that day? And did it end with Mike Pence? Was it was basically our democracy in the hands of Mike Pence at that point? Well, if any number of the different things had gone differently, uh, we could have ended up on the road to authoritarianism, martial law, civil war. Uh, if Mike Pence had uh, buckled under to all of the coercive pressure that Trump mobilized against him, including the violent mob, which was chanting, hang Mike Pence, hang Mike Pence, and of course had set up a scaffold and a noose uh, in front of the Capitol, um, things could have been very different. And I say that as someone who thinks that, uh, you know, the Vice President Pence had uh, demonstrated pretty much uh, invertebrate uh, sycophancy for four years. But on that day, he really did maintain his oath of office and he stuck to what his proper constitutional role was. He released a letter to us at 1 p.m. on Wednesday, January 6th, explaining precisely why he could not do what Donald Trump and his followers were demanding that he do. Uh, and for that, of course, he had to flee the Capitol along with the rest of us. And six of the most chilling words that I've seen during this entire investigation came from Mike Pence when the Secret Service was urging him to get in the car and to be driven off of the campus. And uh, Pence simply said, uh, I'm not getting in that car. I'm not getting in the car. Uh, he, he knew that uh, if he had been spirited away uh, off of the Capitol campus, that anything could have happened. So uh, all of us were demanding, uh, including uh, the, the leadership of the Democratic caucus. And at that point, the leadership of the Republican conference, Liz Cheney, everybody was demanding that we go back in and, um, and continue counting the Electoral College votes, as we have to do, because yeah. it is a constitutional directive that on the Wednesday of the first week of January following a presidential election, the House and Senate must meet in joint session to count the electoral votes. And of course, up until this time, it's been uh, a quite ministerial pro forma <laughs> process. The guy who sits next to me in the Rules Committee, Ed Perlmutter from Colorado, said that it's a day that used to take 10 or 15 minutes to collect the electors uh, to ratify the winner and the peaceful transfer of power. And then it would be a day of bipartisan drinking and celebration on Capitol Hill. And now uh, you can get yourself killed on January the 6th. Yeah, well, times have uh, certainly changed since then. I want to talk to you about the Department of Justice, because there have been some reports lately about tensions rising between the January 6th committee and the Department of Justice. The Justice Department Department had reportedly asked the committee to share some of your materials, sending a letter to you guys. But the committee said that it won't directly turn over what it has and said it would only provide a narrow level of assistance. Is this news about tension between the committee and DOJ true? And why not share everything with each other at this point? Well, you know, I don't know how active the tension is. Obviously, there's some structural dynamics built into it just by virtue of the Department of Justice being an executive branch and they are prosecutorial and they are investigative. 
and we are investigative too, but we're legislative and we're not uh, engaged in individual criminal prosecutions. We're interested in answering the mandate to us under House Resolution 503, which is to to compile all the facts of what happened and to get them out there. So I, I imagine that we're going to be able uh, to come to terms with them about what they're looking for. And there may be things that we're looking for. Uh, the information that's within our possession uh, is the property of our committee and the information that's in their possession is the property of the Department of Justice, all of it subject to the rule of law, of course. Uh, but I think that they're in the Venn diagram of their work and our work, we share a common interest in getting just to the facts of what took place. And I thought it was interesting, uh, something that you just said there, too, was that you guys might actually want some stuff that they've had in their investigation as well. What, what, what else do you think they might be covering that you guys might be missing? Well, um, there are certainly people they've spoken to who we have not spoken to, just as there are people that we've spoken to that they haven't. And so um, there might be you know, gaps and uh, you know, missing pieces of information uh, that we'd like to fill in that, that they could conceivably provide to us. And it seems like every day now there's a bombshell news report, a bombshell story, whether it's about text messages or about reconnaissance tours or whatever it may be. How much does the American public now know about the events on January 6th and how much more is going to be revealed in this hearing? If, if we were like an iceberg, are we at the tip of the iceberg or are we midway down? How, how far are we? Look, this was the worst and perhaps most massive political crime in American history, uh, leaving the Civil War out of it. Um, And um, I think most of our people don't know most of what happened. And I'm hoping when we get through the hearings that most of the people will know most of what happened. And we don't know everything. Uh, You know, we have seen overwhelming cooperation from the people we've sought information from. But the closer you get to Donald Trump and his inner circle, uh, the more intransigent and resistant they are. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we have the, the people who are absolute uh, the contemptuous scoff laws uh, like Steve Bannon, who simply give the finger to the rule of law. Uh, there are people like Mark Meadows who started to cooperate and then Donald Trump got mad at him and they're kind of doing the hokey pokey one foot in and one foot out. Um, And then we've got people who uh, probably are incapable of even telling the truth about it, like Donald Trump himself. I mean, who would just completely lie. So uh, we are actively piecing it together. um, And uh, there's a lot of information that exists in video, a lot of information that exists in pictures and emails and Texts like the ones uh, that have surfaced from Ginny Thomas uh, to Mark Meadows. So uh, every day we get a more complete portrait of what's happening. Um, And uh, every day more and more people come forward uh, who don't want the record of history to be written uh, without them either unburdening themselves if they've come to repent of what they did or sharing information about others. And it's become very clear from those text messages that have been released that Ginny Thomas, the wife of a Supreme Court justice, took a very active role in the insurrection. So I guess everybody's wondering at this point, why isn't Ginny Thomas being subpoenaed? Let's see. Well, uh, 
but I, you know, I don't want to comment on particular cases. Uh, we, we believe that anyone and everyone who has information relating to the violent insurrection and also the inside political operation to overthrow the election should come forward and uh, has a legal and a civic duty to come forward. Um, and, you know, that's all I can really say. You know, it's a general proposition. Yeah. And I, I think just overall, I think even before January 6th, I think the Trump administration could be defined by lawlessness. And I think this constant lawlessness has really just broken people down, has broken Americans down and made a lot of people feel helpless and like the bad guys are winning. And while there have been some arrests and convictions on the whole, at this point, there hasn't been a ton of accountability, especially to those at the top. Do you think there will be accountability at the end of the day for January 6th? I, I do think there will be accountability. And the lawlessness drives me crazy, as I know it drives most Americans crazy, because most of us live by the rule of law. Um, and uh, we understand the relationship between law and freedom. Um, certainly anybody who's fighting to defend women's right to choose against this uh, authoritarian, misogynistic attack on women uh, understands the relationship between constitutional law and freedom. Uh, but you're right. I mean, it, it's the essence of fascism to try to destroy the rule of law and to allow arbitrary power to consume everything in its path. Um, but the Department of Justice, which is charged with uh, prosecuting the crimes, has brought more than 800 different prosecutions uh, against people for uh, assaulting federal officers, trespass, interfering with federal proceeding, seditious conspiracy, which means conspiracy to overthrow the government. Um, and I know people are impatient with the uh, the pace of their progress, but I view it, and again, I'm in a completely different uh, domain here on the legislative side, just researching and getting ready for a report to the American people. But I, I view what's taking place over there as um, characteristic of mob investigations and mob prosecutions. They start with the foot soldiers and then they get people to flip and spill their guts and they work their way up and they work their way up. So. Uh, I don't have any reason to think that uh, the Department of Justice has given up on the figures, you know, at the very top and, and on the inside. But I will say that, like all great mob bosses, Donald Trump uh, knows how to proceed with a wink and a nod and to insulate himself with several layers of uh, buffer between him and the criminal actions that take place. But having said that, uh, there are some extraordinary lawyers over at the Department of Justice. And I've got faith in my uh, constituent, uh, Attorney General Merrick Garland. And I, I don't trash my constituents. Uh, and I, I have faith in all of them <laughs> that they're going to do their job and get it done well. Well, I think our viewers and listeners would be happy to hear that you have confidence in the Department of Justice's investigation. Have you or the Department of Justice, and obviously you wouldn't know their investigation, but ha have you heard anything about those pipe bombs that were planted that were discovered on January 6th? Has there been any movement in, in figuring out who may have done that? You know, I haven't looked into that recently. I know that that there uh, there's been I've seen like wanted posters with the information relating to, uh, you know, the planting of those bombs. And I don't know if there have been any breakthroughs. So I don't know anything more than you do. 
I, I think one of the scariest things is what we were mentioning before, like the Republican Party has gone full autocracy in many ways. And it feels like this insurrection is just still ongoing. I mean, just yesterday we had Donald Trump sharing a post on his social media platform calling for civil war. This past weekend, the Republicans were in Hungary for CPAC, which felt like they were plotting insurrection part two in Hungary. What was your what's your reaction when you see things like that? And are we equipped as a country to handle these threats to democracy? Well, I'm glad, uh, Brett, you put it in the global context because, you know, all of the autocrats and kleptocrats and dictators and tyrants and bullies and despots have found each other and they're all working together. It's, uh, you know, Putin in Russia and Orban in Hungary and LCC in Egypt and Duterte in the Philippines and Mohammed bin Salman, the homicidal crown prince of Saudi Arabia and President Xi in uh, China and Bolsonaro in Brazil, and you name it, they are all in league together against the democratic governments and countries and peoples of the world. The good news is that uh, Putin's bloody invasion of Ukraine has unified the democratic world. It's given That's us right. the opportunity to rally the democratic forces. And Ukraine is winning that war. We must make sure they win that war and defeat Putin, because, you know, from Moscow to Mar-a-Lago, they are gathering and assembling against us. And we must have a global democratic conscious consciousness about the struggle, the way that the autocrats are organizing globally against us. I mean, Jared Kushner just walked off with two billion dollars from Saudi Arabia for services rendered and to be rendered to the royal kingdom. Uh, you know, and we're a nation conceived in radical revolutionary insurgency against the kings and the queens and the emirs and the, the theocrats. Uh, so personally, I'm proud. I heard uh, I learned on Thursday and Friday that I've been banned in two places. My book, We the Students, has been banned in <laughs> Texas public schools by the theocrats there. And uh, I learned on Friday night that Putin had banned me as part of a list of Americans who are considered enemies of uh, his uh, Russian imperial state that he's trying to build. And I'm not I'm never allowed to go to Russia. Well, I look forward to going to a free democratic <laughs> Russia after I visit a free democratic Ukraine. Uh, and the, the autocrats and the theocrats are never going to be able to beat the Democrats. It's a badge of honor, even though it ruined your vacation plans, I guess. <laughs> the congressman with a mic drop moment right there. That was awesome. Congressman, I just want to take a step back for a second. So I've been following your, your, your social media presence quite closely and all the statements that you put out. And I know you mentioned meeting with culty programmers in recent months to understand how to better deal with the extreme right. So what have been your key takeaways and why did you want to meet with the culty programmer? Yeah, well, you, you got to talk to Steve uh, Hassan who uh, had been uh, recruited and brainwashed by the Moonies a long time ago, back in the 1970s, I think it was, and then got out and became one of the first deprogrammers and has specialized in uh, helping people get out. In fact, one of the people that he helped and who he knows is Ginny Thomas, who was in a religious mm -hmm. cult, That's who right. he helped to, to get out. But obviously, she's never overcome her cultish ways of thinking and behaving. But... Um, Look, I, I, I just believe that uh, Lincoln's party has become the cult of Donald Trump. And, um, you know, they can they can break 
like Liz Cheney or Mitt Romney or Adam Kinzinger, but they can't bend. In other words, there's uh, there's no moderation of the views. Either you accept everything that Donald Trump says and you follow him or you will be expelled and driven out and then you oppose him. And that is uh, the kind of binary black and white thinking that Donald Trump has, which all of the religious cults have. Mm -hmm. um, and what the deprogrammers say is if you know somebody in a cult, you know, and you're trying to get them out, the families and friends have to show them lots of affection and lots of warmth. Um, but they also have to be absolutely emphatic about the difference between what's true and what's false, what's reality and what is conspiracy theory and nonsense, like the big lie, which is now the organizing principle of the Republican Party, which adopted no platform in 2020. Uh, its only platform has been... Um, uh, the, essentially the big lie and then uh, getting into power however they can, which is a hallmark of fascism. If you read uh, Madeleine Albright's book, she says fascism should not be understood as a set body of finite political beliefs and ideas. It should be understood as a strategy for taking power for particular groups and then staying in power. Uh, so I was really glad that uh, Madeleine Albright wrote that book before we lost her. I'm afraid I've got to go to my next thing. I'd love to talk to you guys more. Not a problem at all. And I'll, I'll just kick it a bend here. Thank you so much, Congressman, for joining us on the Midas Touch podcast. We appreciate your fight for democracy. Everybody will be watching the January 6th committee. Thank you, Congressman Raskin, for joining us on the podcast. You bet. Thanks for having me. For the most important news of the day, massive news dumped handwritten contemporaneous notes. The Treasury needs to hand over Trump's taxes. With the most compelling interviews, please welcome Congressman Adam Schiff, Molly Jong Fast, Mike McFaul, Andrew Weissman, Barb McQuaid, Glenn Kirshner, Colonel Alexander Venman, former ambassador to Ukraine, Marie Ivanovich, and all the appropriate profanity. Lawsuit to block that shit. Captain Douche, immigration executive order. Anyone that stupid should just not be in Congress. Renowned cowardly face Kevin McCarthy, the leader of the douche. Even Mary Trump agrees. Joining this binder full of women, curating the news from the left with appropriate profanity. Listen weekday mornings to the Daily Beans. Left-leaning news from a woman's perspective. We make the news bearable by making it swearable. So put some beans on it with Dana Goldberg, Amy Carrero, and me, Allison Gill. And who doesn't like that. Welcome back to the Midas Touch podcast. Great interview with Congressman Jamie Raskin. So much to unpack in that interview. I'm going to have to watch my own interview multiple times there. There was so much information. I was trying not to miss anything, like even like the little things he was saying, I was trying to be like, okay, what does that mean? What does this mean? What does that mean? I also want everybody to know when we were speaking about culty programmers on that, uh, Steve Hassan, who Jamie Raskin mentioned meeting with to talk about his extremist colleagues, the culty programmer, he has a show on the Midas Media Network, which I recommend everybody listen to. It's about culty programming. It's about how to actually take control of your mind to better your life in many ways. Also, he also does a great breakdown on what Jamie Raskin was talking about, which is the cult of, of Ginny Thomas and his knowledge of the cult that Ginny Thomas was in. I really recommend it. Check out the Influence Continuum podcast with Dr. Hassan on the Midas Media Network. Cannot recommend it enough. And so cool that he's working with Representative Raskin to, to teach you know, his expertise. 
another podcast. I always love at the end of the podcast, giving you our podcast recommendations. You all know the fourth Midas sibling. I'm not sure if you know her. It's someone named Mary Trump. Our sister Rachel is going to be like, what are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) The fifth Midas sibling is Mary Trump. If you're not listening to the Mary Trump show, what have you been waiting for? You need to start listening to it immediately. Mary is one of the brightest minds fighting for democracy. Her truly brilliant interviews and strategy sessions with leaders on the left are defining the political conversation and giving us hope for the 2022 election. She's truly teaching us how to fight. She has incredible and guests like Ellie Mistal, David K. Johnston, Tara Setmeyer, Martina Navratilona, Katie Couric, the list goes on and on. Mary takes on current events and the many challenges our country is facing with the goal of helping Democrats win the midterms so we can take back our country. Subscribe to youtube.com slash Politicon to join her every Tuesday and Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. That's youtube.com slash Politicon, P-O-L-I-T-I-C-O-N, for the Mary Trump Show Live. You can also find her show wherever you get your podcast, except for Spotify. See you there. That probably gives us a good time to tell our listeners and our YouTube watchers. Maybe you can both do a trade here for a second. So if you watch this on YouTube, do me a favor, will you? Can you subscribe to the podcast on audio? That would go a big way in helping the Midas Touch podcast. Subscribe on audio, even if you just watch this on YouTube. Now, to my audio listeners, if you could just, even if you just listen on audio, go and subscribe to the Midas Touch YouTube channel. I think you'll like the visuals, but I think you'll like other Midas Touch YouTube content, even though you like to listen to this instead of watch it. We have some great YouTube content and our YouTube growth recently has been exponential and through the roof. I mean, we're picking up thousands of followers each day with some of the great content content that we have exclusively on YouTube. And also do me one more favor, everybody, please give a five-star review of this podcast wherever you listen to the audio, um, because that helps with the algorithms a lot. So make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you give a five-star review. That goes a very, very, very long way. Special thanks to our sponsors, Titan and Athletic Greens. Make sure you check out our sponsors. Special thanks, of course, to our guest, Congressman Jamie Raskin. Midas Touch will be having so many efforts uh, covering the January 6th hearings. So make sure you're subscribed to all of our channels to follow up with all of the news related to the January 6th committee hearings in June. And we'll see you next time on the next Midas Touch podcast. Shout out to the Midas Mighty. The Midas Mighty.